Tonight we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 7. So if you're like, where do I go in the scriptures? That's where I'd love for you to meet me. Um, Hopefully you'll remember that the last time we were here, we talked um, about judgment. Remember, that was a fun one. Do you remember? Uh, And we talked about how, how God's heart for his disciples is not to objectify people in their sin, right? To focus on their sin more than the actual person, um, but, but his heart is that we would look beyond that, see the actual person, check ourselves, make sure there's nothing in us that would keep us um, from communion with God, and then help them be restored back to the path of discipleship to Jesus. Do you remember? That was the whole point. I remember because I was here, and I listened really well, and I wrote it. So um, I do remember that. Uh, chapter 7, as you'll remember, is where Jesus begins to wrap up his famous Sermon on the Mount. And as he does, he's going to continue to stress the message of the kingdom that always focuses on the connection between loving God and loving others. Uh, with that in mind, let's, let's read tonight's uh, text. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and we will read through verse 11. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That sounds good, right? Uh, I want to say a few things about this text before we jump in, jump in. Um, In our text, I want us to keep in mind that there is an actual rhythm or a thread through through the sermon, but also particularly in chapters 6 and 7. And at first glance, we, we read this text and we think this is about prayer. And it is. It's absolutely about prayer. But as we press in and look a little bit closer, we're going to notice something else. Jesus has this way through the sermon of continually highlighting how we relate to God and others. And in this teaching, he's going to unapologetically, in a subtle way, connect the two. We're going to see a couple metaphors that help us understand that prayer is an actual relationship. And in that, there's all kinds of dynamics that exist just as we have with people. So ultimately, what we're supposed to see here is that what we do to connect with God is also what we do to connect with one another. Make sense? Yeah, okay, so now that you're just stellar on that, let's jump in and work through this uh, line by line. We're going to pick up verse seven, uh, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, so many, for many of us, a lot of us at least, this is a, a familiar verse. Maybe it's cross-stitch on your Nana's, I don't know, wall somewhere. Um, and if you're anything like me, maybe you grew up in the church or you've, you've heard different teachings on this. When I've, when I've understood this, I've been told that, that this is connected to persistence in prayer, which makes sense, right? It's ask, seek, and knock. It even has its own acronym. Did you notice that? Ask, seek, ask. Do you see? <laughs> ah, I know. Pretty powerful. Now, when it comes to, to actually understanding this text in just like a more than one dimension kind of way, We have to remember who Jesus was talking to. His audience would have been his disciples and people who would come to follow him, and those people would actually be humans. Um, And at some point, just like we humans do in their journey, um, 
there would be some doubt that would come in in regards to prayer. I mean, if you're a human walking around here, maybe you've experienced the same thing. There would be doubt in God's love for them. There would be doubt in, in whether we could ultimately trust God or not. It, often when we read this text, the emphasis on, is on what we will get after we ask him for something, right? The emphasis is like on what am I going to receive now? What door's opened? I'm open and I'm available, right, for all of the, the good things, as opposed to the act of asking itself. So, so when we look closely, when we press in here, we're going to find that Jesus, as he always does, is going to speak to something greater. So he's going to actually like, consider our humanity and consider those who would not only hear, who were sitting right in front of him, but those who would come generations later. And he would, he would speak to the doubt and the questions that all of his disciples would ask at some point or another. Jesus knows and knew that there would be struggle in prayer, especially as we press in to ask God for things. So here, Jesus ultimately addresses something that's super significant in the text. He is addressing the goodness of God. Now notice, uh, this verse, hopefully you've noticed at least, that this verse is presented as a command. It's kind of like, ask, seek, knock, right? Okay, uh, but sort of, it is, it's actually a command in the text. It's, that's sort of how it's being uh, interpreted which means that prayer is an, is an action that we take. Uh, or more specifically, this, this idea of ac- asking is an action. It, it means it will demand a response at some level. Some scholars say that this could be interpreted or translated more accurately, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. That's the implication here in the verse. Now in our humanity, a lot of us have a tendency to measure our ability to do that. How much did I ask? How much did I seek? How much did I knock? Especially when we're trying to measure what we're getting. However, I think it seems that Jesus is addressing uh, more the relationship that happens between the asking and the receiving. Does that make sense? Great. Verses 9 and 10. We're just blowing through this. Okay, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Jesus goes on to emphasize this point a little bit further by painting a picture of the most intimate and powerful relationship in our lives, that between a parent and a child. And these analogies of bread and stone and fish to snake are meant to help us understand that God doesn't provide for us some lackluster, superficial substitution for the things that we ask for. And beyond that, he doesn't give us something like a snake, which we should never touch anyway, that would harm us. Are you with me? He doesn't give us gifts that would hurt us. That's not who he is. And so it's in this verse that we begin to see Jesus casting a compelling vision for the goodness of God. The goodness of the Heavenly Father. And it's with this picture that the heart of a disciple when reading this is supposed to move out of impulse and, and, and into a place of confidence and trust in God's love for them. Verse 11. If you then, though you are evil... You guys, okay? If you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus um, goes on to offer a perspective that is often forgotten or marred by our earthly experiences when it comes to asking God for things. Um, He says, of course, those of you who are parents or really, really cute aunts (laughs) or uncles or friends or whatever you are, you may be, If you would give your kids, if they asked you something 
that they desired or needed, you, you would respond to them. If they came to you and said, hey, I really want this thing, and you had the ability to give it to them, you would. And you do that largely because you love your kids most of the time, right? And if, if, if my niece came to me, my nieces, the multitude of them, two redheaded and the other dark-haired, like them all the same, um, <laughs> if they came to me and said, honeybee, I, I want this thing, which happens a lot. When we're at Target, it is a mess. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you can have everything, Merida or whoever, whatever, um, right? If they came to me, there's no question in my mind that I would give them whatever I had to give them. If they were hungry, there's no question I'd be searching my bag for Sour Patch Kids or whatever it may be to feed them. Because these are, these are humans that I love. And I feel that way about some of your children in this room. Same thing, and you get what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you know you would give good gifts to your children. But, but when Jesus is speaking here, he begins to highlight something. He says, though you're noble as a parent, you know that you would give your kids anything if they need it, especially if they really needed something, you would not withhold from them. You, in your humanist, in your parenting, you still have a limitation. You have limited resources when it comes to financial, you know, fin your finances, when it comes to your emotions, when it comes to your ability to be present. Some of you are far away from your kids, and it's just, but, but, but you have a limitation in what you're able to give. And even so, if you're like, man, but I'm a stellar parent, I'm here, I'm present, I'm buying, whatever. Even still, there's a point at which you will be cut off. There's a gap in your ability to love your kids perfectly. If you haven't experienced yet, I bet you had a baby yesterday. I mean, really. I assume, that's at least what I hear from parents. Now, when I'm reading this text, I can hear Jesus with great excitement begin to say like, okay, so you get it, you're a parent or you're a person who really loves a human. You mean you really, really fiercely love them. You, you could not comprehend. What I want you to try to comprehend is how much more your father, who has unlimited resources and unlimited love, loves and will give to you. There's like this great contrast, and you're like, I've heard that before, or whatever, and, but it's true. He's saying he has more love than you can conceive, more resources than you can conceive, and he's a dad who longs to give you good things. This text is meant to draw our attention not to our Heavenly Father being some kind of slot machine of goodness that we get stuff from. He's not the guy who we look to just to fund our business venture for the next thing that we're doing, but I believe it's meant to ultimately anchor our heart and request to God's goodness and his love for us. Now, as we look at this text, um, there's a reality and probably something that's already confronted us that we have yet to address. These verses, by their very nature, if we're disciples of Jesus, should push us to think harder about prayer and what it actually is. Maybe you're reading this tonight, or you've heard it before, you're hearing me say it, and you're thinking things, yeah, but does prayer really make a difference? Yeah. <laughs> I know Carol believes that, but I don't know about you guys. Does, does, does prayer, or does God, through prayer, change the course of history? Uh, um, I mean, this is, okay, surprised, but okay. <laughs> Why does God answer pr prayer? These are rhetorical, okay, <laughs> to be clear. Does he do it for his glory, or does he do it for a relationship with us? And why does he answer some prayers and seemingly not answer other ones? We have to, if we're in a text like this, at least begin to wrestle with the implications of prayer. So if we're gonna address these questions, we need to first talk about what prayer is. And you're like, I already know. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give you some more information. Ronald Rollheiser puts it this way. He says, it is an act of lifting heart and mind to God. It is relaxing in God's goodness. 
Dallas Willard defines it like this. He says, talking, it's talking to God about what we are doing together. Still, honestly, one of the clearest and most helpful definitions of prayer I have ever found comes by my, um, my boss, John Mark Homer. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. Anyway, he's very smart. Uh, and he says, prayer is a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of a depth of relationship. And I think for me, that's the most helpful. I don't know what your experience with prayer has been. In my experience, and I've been in the church for a really long time, um, there are moments where it has been super intimidating, largely because of sometimes how it's been presented. I have like methods, you know, acts, the acts thing, not ask, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. I have like these systems of prayer that have at some level configured how I view God. And so at times it's been, been difficult. So what I want to say to this, one thing I want to be really clear about when it comes to prayer is that prayer always centers around relationship. And relationship is a dynamic thing, not a static thing. It's a, it involves two actual people. It's a conversation that incorporates mind and will and emotion. It's a place of communion. And at the heart of all of it is this idea of asking of request. Problem is that asking or requesting is uncomfortable for many of us. And we have this little thing um, that we have to address if we're going to actually figure out how to do the prayer or the way that we are invited to do prayer here in chapter 7. It's, um, this thing I'm talking about is called pride, and I have some of it. You have a little bit more, and so <laughs> I'd like you to listen up. Uh, in a New York Times article from a few years back, uh, there's a writer named Alina Tugend, and she noted that we are a society conditioned and largely based on helping ourselves. Uh, in this article, she says, look at how many self-help books there are. Do it yourself. You don't need, no, other people, do it yourself, girl, get the book and work it out, right? You also know that we have self-service counters, which is honestly what I prefer, because I'm a double bagger. Uh, so I like to do that myself. I feel rude asking, can I get another bag? And they're like, oh, the environment. I'm like, I know, I'm so sorry. I have to go upstairs. Uh, <laughs> right? So we even have self-service counters that we don't even have to engage. They don't even, the checkout people aren't helping us. Forgive me if I can't, I don't know what the title, official word is for checkout people. Um, and, and there's a huge part of our society where we're conditioned to do us, right? Do you, I'm going to do me. Take care of yourself, live independent lives. And our society, day in and day out, echoes to us that we should be independent people. That to be successful is to not have to ask. In her article, she goes on to say that in asking for help, the, the reality that we have to surrender control in asking is too much for many to bear, as it has often been perceived as a reflection of deficiency, which you can imagine cripples many of us. So if we're going to talk about prayer, we're going to talk about asking, seeking, and knocking, we have to address within ourselves whether we are able to actually do this or not. Whether we struggle, and if we do, then we need to ask ourselves why. I think for many of us, even if we try to approach God as a parent or as a loving father, we still face a real struggle that I believe pride brings. Now, I know that pride often comes from places of injury or trauma or loss from the past. And I believe that at the root of that pride is probably fear. You know, um, in asking someone, um, we're probably a little bit afraid of rejection. 
in asking someone, a lot of us are afraid of someone just saying no, because we've been told no a lot. So to ask again is, is to do something that feels crippling and hard. So many of us are afraid to ask because we don't want to feel indebted to somebody else because we felt that way before, that's bondage. So many of us don't ask because we feel like we're a burden to ask. And it's all these fears and more that have kept us from asking, doing this small thing that seems simple enough and yet it's difficult. The reality is asking is a vulnerable thing. And it demands at some level that you come face to face with another person, right? Like, like um, let me think about someone I like. Um, That's a lot harder on the spot than you'd think. <laughs> uh, I, I like my friend Catherine so much, and she's on the, uh, right up here. And, um, and man, if I know that at some level in my dynamic and relationship with Catherine that there is a mutual exchange. Sometimes I have to say to Catherine, like, hey, I need to talk to you. Um, or, hey, Catherine, I really need prayer. And then Catherine sometimes will say, um, hey, I, I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Or, hey, um, I need this thing. Or, could you meet me here for lunch? I would like to have lunch with you or whatever it may be. And there's a back and forth. And whether or not we understand it or are recognizing it in our relationships, your relationship is built on asking. That's how it works. It's back and forth. You want to have intimacy and in exchange, start asking some questions. And that is a free tip for the fellas in here. Ask some questions. Okay? All right. That just came out. It must be the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. And, and we don't notice it. We don't. We don't notice that very often. But it is, a, it is an essential dynamic to actual intimacy. Are you with me? Asking, I know, for many of us at a very deep level, feels like a risk. It does. In this community we just talked about, there was a lot of risk going on. You know, emergencies push you into the space of just asking. But in the day-to-day, -day, that asking for what you need thing is a lot harder than we'd like to admit. And I honestly believe that the inability to take that risk has kept many of us from believing that God is actually good. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do with that reality? How do we ask? How do we seek and we knock? How do we do these things that will move us forward in uh, this part of our reality and the part of our you know, relationship with the Father? The first I would say is we need to address some temptations that come when it comes to prayer. Scott McKnight, this brilliant theologian, um, tells us that there are two really big temptations that we have to address. The first, he says, is we, we have to admit the temptation that in our humanity we are often tempted to figure things out ourselves and to try to make them happen in our own power. Um, I prefer this one often. I, I, I think I've confessed it here before, but I have a tendency to help God a lot. Um, and it's not by way of profession. If you're like, I knew she was a two. Okay, so did everyone. Uh, I'm a helper, right? There's that Enneagram thing, whatever. Um, and I am, and I, I honestly love to help God. Even this week, there are multiple situations where I said, let me just lay it out for you. Don't worry, I'll do the planning for how this is going to go. And, um, and I'm sure he thought that was so cute. You know? <laughs> I'm sure he thought that was so, so sweet. Um, but we often do this. We try to figure things out in our own minds, and our own abilities. We, 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 we keep things compartmentalized from God because we're like, we got this. Don't worry. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to tuck this away and I'll handle this, the deeper thing. You know, you've got other things like starving people or whatever. You start to reason out why he shouldn't come into that space and you begin to try to help him. And then more than that, you try to figure out what he's doing or what things should be like. And then you offer those suggestions up to God as though they're helpful. 
And that, I do that, so we're in the same boat. Here's the problem with this temptation, is it is a false reality. It is a place where we believe we are being kept safe because we're keeping things from God. It is the place where we manipulate other people in our circumstances, and it brings no glory to God and does nothing for us as his people. Next, we have this temptation to believe that God is distant and uncaring. You want to admit it here or not, welcome to the club. Here we are. And I've, I've honestly personally wondered, frequently, as a common thing, how can God care about so many people at the same time? Have you ever thought that? Or, or does he even care that someone hurt my feelings? Does he care, um, you know, about my parking spot at Target? Does he actually care? And I know that sounds silly, but sometimes I'm praying for a spot. I mean, really, at Target. And I, you'd think the Lord would open. I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't always happen. And I, the reality is I'm just telling you is I do wonder if God can do all of those things. And the truth is that me even asking that question is revealing something about my small and often narrow understanding of who God is. Now, I'm not a dumb woman by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, <laughs> but, but when it comes to God, I am so limited in my perception of who he is. I like to tell him that he should be doing things this way, that way, or the other. And I just, I start to paint a picture of him to him about who he is, right? I do this often. You're like, you're so silly. Yeah, well, you probably maybe have dabbled a little bit too. Or I start to say like, you're a God who's all powerful and you care about my feelings, so why don't you work that thing out for me? And, and why is it that I'm having to take care of this God when you could do it in a moment, why am I having to ask you for this when, when I feel like you could do it this way or that way? I measure him in the small way that my mind can conceive him. He is the God that can hold the cosmos and go on a walk with me at the same time. This is who he is. And for some reason in my small mind, I cannot perceive him to be bigger than what I know. And so then I just make assumptions about him like you don't care. And you're not interested. You're some, you're some blinking entity up there who's slightly impressed by a few people sometimes. And what we forget in those moments is the measures he took to be in a relationship with us. That when Jesus was crucified, brutally murdered by the state, he was buried and rose again on the third day, he did that for me, not just for you. And we forget that, and you're like, that's, and that is the gospel, by the way, which is the power unto salvation. That, that's the hope for all of us, but I forget it in a moment. I'm like, I'm at Target, I'm like, we didn't get the spot, and I'm like, forget you, you don't care. Which is just, I mean, it, see how silly? I mean, it's silly, but it's true. Or you didn't do this thing in my timing, you don't care about me at all. And, and then he's saying like, I don't, okay. I just can't imagine what he must be thinking in those moments. He can hold all of our affections. He can hold all that we are, and yet we minimize him. And minimize his ability to care for us and what we understand in his care for us. We don't focus on the fact that he is love, that he is a God who goes to war for us. He's called the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord the warrior. That, that he is a God who has seen us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, and all of that, never leaving us, never forsaking us, it just goes out the window the second we believe him to not be present. It is a temptation for us people who follow Jesus, it is a quick temptation that we've got to rein in if we're going to be able to actually move in prayer the way we've been invited to. Now the truth is, I actually believe reconciling these temptations for us are pretty doable. 
I think that tomorrow you could put these things into practice, be mindful of them, be disciplined, and kind of move ahead. But there's still um, one issue that I think is a little bit harder. In fact, I think it's a little bit of the elephant in the room, so I'm just going to talk about it. Um, for a lot of us, this is the reason we haven't prayed in years. Um, not for, or maybe it's not been years, maybe it's been months. <clears throat> still for others, I think it's the reason we just continue to hold on to resentment and anger towards God. It's the reason that you're able to shut yourself off from this message because you're like, this is ridiculous, or you're going to scoff at passages of Scripture like this because you think they don't mean a thing. And, and, and I'm just going to call it out. There's this idea, there's this reality for, for so many of us that God does not answer our prayers, right? For, for a lot of us, we've spent months or years asking for something very specific and we've begged God, and we've done it by faith, and we've done everything. Maybe, maybe you prayed for a child, and God has not, what you perceive, opened your womb for a baby. Maybe you've prayed for a husband or a spouse. Maybe um, you've prayed for the cancer to go away, and it just will not be eradicated. And in these passages, he's saying, ask, ask, and I'll respond. You'll receive from me. And you're going, are you kidding me? So many of us, we can't deny this, that so many of us have been touched by this burn of unanswered prayer. So when we come to things like this, we say, what is the point? And the truth is, I do not, um, I do not have an answer for the real problem of unanswered prayer. I just don't. Um, and even, I think, in our text, we feel that pressure that God's going to give to us, or I'm supposed to believe that, or at least I've felt it before. When I'm like, okay, I'm just supposed to trust that he's going to do, even though he just hasn't done. What I do know, and this is what I, I just really want you to hear this, what I've learned and what I am actively learning is that we cannot appeal to the mystery. We can only appeal to God's goodness. And that's what this text is driving us towards. We keep asking God, not because our circumstances have changed, not because we're more lonely than we were last week, not because we're more desperate or we're more um, on fire for this certain thing. We keep asking because of who he is. We keep asking because as this text has drawn our attention to it, he is a God who is unlimited in his goodness towards us. The ability in moments like this is for us to look at what is not happening and to not look to who he is. And this is where we break through that idea of, of finiteness, where we go like, yeah, but he's not doing A, B, C, and D. And we move through that space, and we go, but God is a loving father who in the scriptures it says withholds nothing good from his children. And this is where we appeal to who he is. This is where we choose to believe in his goodness towards us. You know, um, I uh, absolutely love my parents. I actually think they're some of the best people. Um, and even to hang out with them, which is nice. Um, but um, I often call my mother, I mean daily, uh, and I'm like, if she doesn't answer the phone immediately, I'm so confused about why that's happening. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm honestly mystified. I have no idea why she's not waiting for me to call. Um, <laughs> And so literally sometimes she's like, I was at the doctor. And I'm like, I just can't believe you weren't available. I just, I'm your child. Um, and I really, really like my mom. And I really, really like my dad, too. He's, he's cute. He, he sends texts, and he puts a turtle at the end and says, Dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't. He's just the best guy. 
here's what I, I want to say about them, both of them. In a moment, if I call them, not always, but my mom mostly, if I call her in a moment, my mom picks up her phone. And when, I, when mom picks up the phone, I have the very unique ability of, of asking my mom for whatever it is that I want. Um, currently, right now, she's making me a travel bag because I thought it'd be a good idea. Uh, I can call her and say, like, Mom, I need 50 bucks. Long story. Uh, I mean, there's nothing, anyway, nothing scandalous there. But, but ser seriously, I could say, Mom, I need 50 bucks, and she'd be like, okay. Um, and she would probably give it to me for the most part. Um, I know you want to call my mom, too. Me, I know. Um, if she has it, she would give it to me. And if I said, Mom, I really need a new pair of jeans. It's an emergency. Um, whatever. All those things that happen. You're, you're tracking. Okay. Um, what I want to say this. I talked to my mom this week about this scenario. And I said, Mom, um, you don't really say no very often or whatever. Um, and she said, No, I, I just really like what happens when you ask. Um, you know, my mom, I just, I call her, she's like, what I like is that you, um, you just feel like you can. You just kind of barge right through something. You're like, I need something. It's an emergency. I'm your baby. Do it. Right? <laughs> or I talked to her about what I want the genes for, and this would be really great, and I'll probably get, just, anyway, um, a lot of response if I wear them, if I get them. And <laughs> that seems important at this part in my life, this point, this moment. Um, or whatever, and, and my mom, we were talking about it, she just said, I just love the conversation that happens around the asking. And what is established in us and in our relationship when you come to me and ask me what you, for what you need? And sometimes my mom doesn't answer the phone. And sometimes she says no. But, but there's something that's happening in our dynamic that is essential for our relationship. It is a face-to-face -face exchange it is me being vulnerable enough to say, I need something. And for her to respond out of her mother's heart and either to give or to say not now or to whatever, the point is God is after the conversation. We, we have long been stuck in that burning place, a lot of us stuck, in the place of discouragement and disappointment. And here's the deal, that, that just severs our relationship with God. I want to tell you something about myself, because you're so interested. Um, I, am, I am just not a stranger to disappointment in prayer. I am, I am like the queen of that in this teaching, and maybe that's why I get to, to teach it. Um, there's something I've been praying for for five and a half years of my life, consistently, which some of you are like, that's nothing. Okay. Um, but for me, that's a lot. It's a huge chunk of my adult life, and it was something that God invited me into. Very clearly, something God had um, handed to me and said, I want you to pray for this. Um, and so I did. I began asking. So year one, I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> I am so good at asking for things. So here we are. I'm asking. And I thought, this is a sure shooting thing. I mean, here we go, right? I'm, you've invited me to ask, so I know where we're going. We're going to get something at the end. That's the guarantee. So I was looking forward to it. So year one happens, and I'm like, that's okay, I didn't have enough faith. And I started to move into these religious spaces where I'd begin to justify why God didn't answer my prayer. And, um, and so then year two, I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to have a lot more faith and just be totally hands off. No problem, God, I'm just here to pray for it. And, um, and then I got, um, that didn't, nothing happened. Nothing happened again. And so then year three, I'm like, okay, good, fasting about this one, taking this to the next level of prayer. And I think this is the year three. It's like a very biblical number. God's going to be moving on my behalf. And again, you're laughing, but you're justifying that stuff too. You're like, seven is the number. You know, I know. I know. 
Jubilee and all that. I know. We're all like <laughs> mapping it out. We're Googling that. What's seven mean? I know. <laughs> and year four happens, and I'm ebbing and flowing on this thing God's asking me to pray for. And I'm, I'm getting cranky. <laughs> that happens. And then um, as of as this January, it has been five-ish, five-and-a-half-ish years. And I have wondered time and time again if I would see actual reality happen in this situation. I mean, I'm just totally honest with you. I'm just like, please, God. And in January, I was on the floor in my apartment weeping my head off and um, telling God um, that I wasn't doing this anymore, that I was not interested in doing whatever his little prayer journey was, that I feel like I had really completed it and that we were done. Now, something you need to understand about my relationship with Jesus is we are in a covenant relationship. So sometimes, just like I imagine in a marriage, um, you get in fights and you don't talk for a day or two and then you come back and you're like, I'm not leaving. I mean, I absolutely love you and you're my whole life. Um, <laughs> but, but I've made your lunch and we'll talk tomorrow, right? It's like, um, so, so that's our dynamic. It's truly like that. And so he can handle, he's not a stranger to the fits, you know? And I just, I poured it out. I just said, like, I'm not doing this. This is a joke. I feel humiliated in my prayer life. What is that? Where's the book on that? Someone write it. Like how, right? How does that work? And I just said, I'm done. That's it. I have, I have offered this to you by faith over and over again. I have prayed with other people. I have prayed in unique circumstances. Like I have, I have done it. I've done the fasting. I've done all these things that you've asked me to do and nothing, nothing. You say ask and it will be given. I've seen nothing in this. Now, now, there's something that's really significant here that I don't want you to miss. When I did that, and I said, we're done. I'm done praying about this thing. And I willed myself every day to not do it. Um, and I did. And I'm, so God bless the husband, you know, <laughs> wherever he may be. It's going to be tough. But um, I, <laughs> it's rumbling back here. Um, I, 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 when I did that, when I said I'm refusing um, to, to pray for this thing, I stopped risking in prayer. And I thought I was just stopping to risk in prayer about this one thing. But the reality is it never works that way. When you stop risking in prayer and asking for the things that, that God has either burned in your heart to ask for, the things that you desire, it's like a total system shutdown. And, 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 and in that, I, I began to feel like there was distance between God and I. And I'm making his lunch and sending him out the door every day, but I'm still, I'm like, what's your deal? What is your deal? So here we are in worship, and I love, I mean, I just love to move my body a lot in worship. I was a dancer, as you can tell. And, um, and I just love to worship Jesus that way. It really, it really is for me. That's, that's the jam. So, um, but even in, in those times of intimacy and the Spirit's moving, Matt's leading, it's just awesome. Um, I just couldn't. It was like, and here you are, distant. Look, I didn't, I, and I'm, we're having this husband and wife fight, so excuse us. It's like, hey, I didn't do anything. You moved away from me. And I began to, to filter into those places of temptation to believe he was distant and uncaring. And then I said, you know what, I'll just do it myself. It's no big deal. I'll just hold this myself. I'll just put it on the shelf and I'll package it away and whatever. And, and more and more there was distance growing between us and a lack of intimacy. And listen, I love, I mean, I am in a new season of loving my job more than I've ever loved my job. I mean, it is like, yes, every day. Like, really. Um, and I, I love that. And, and so even in my job, I know this is an important part of that. Right? That I actually have to pray for people. And here's the deal. I had this ability to believe God's goodness for other people, but not for myself. Which is a really weird thing. 
Um, so, so let me try to land the plane here. So we started to have a fight. It's an ongoing active fight, which I guess is how married people do it. I have no idea. Um, so it's just kind of like back and forth, back and thing, back and forth. And what I realized was it was not only this, this issue that I had done, this, this I'm not praying anymore thing, actually was affecting not only the ecosystem of my life, but the spiritual condition of yours. Because I actually take my job really seriously. That how I lead you and how I shepherd you and all of that is impacted by my relationship with Jesus. And God began to bring that awareness to me and say, like, hey, there's something going on. And, and I had said to him, you've left me. Just because I won't pray for this one thing or I can't believe you for this one thing because you didn't give it to me, you have left me. And, and for the first time in my life, just like literally a week and a half ago, God was like, wait a second. I, I finally chilled out, which happens eventually, usually with a snack in tow, right? And I began to seek the Lord Say, like, I don't know what it is because I miss you so much. I just miss you. I really, I miss you a lot. Like, um, and it's the first time this has ever happened in, like, my mature relationship with Jesus because usually I'm just like, you know, and, and it was so cool. And, um, and he just showed me really clearly um, that, that, that when I was feeling the distance, it was because I had stopped risking with him in prayer. And that that was going to impact my whole life and my whole person. Now, um, I don't know where that intersects with you. I think, I think some of you in this room, I really do as I've prayed today, I think some of you have been wondering why you don't have intimacy with God. Why you see people all around you um, who are doing this hand thing or some of us dancers or whatever it may be. Maybe you've been wondering, like, where is my intimacy with God? I don't feel connected to him. I do not feel like he loves me. I do not feel like he cares about me. And I'm just going to tell it to you straight. I think it might be because you've stopped risking with him in prayer. It's a vulnerable thing to ask for God to do something on your behalf. It's a vulnerable thing. It means you have to get face to face with him and say, I don't have it in me to do. And here's what I want to say to you about my story. When I got face to face with God, I finally saw the goodness of God in my life. Very clearly. Nothing had been withheld from me. Nothing. Now, is it all working out the way? I have no idea. But once I finally got into the room with him, I saw him and encountered him and remembered how much he loves me. And for so many of you, there's a lot of us in this space probably who have been outside the room going, I'm not going in there because he didn't do what he said he would do. And you've been wondering why there's this wall and this disconnect between you and him. And if you just get into the room, you would find the goodness of God in your life. You would find the goodness of his presence towards you. It may not be what you want to hear because that's the thing about asking. It just reveals, it makes us confront things in ourselves. Sometimes in that room, getting in that room means he's going to say like, hey, there's this thing that's got to go. Or, or, or you're going to be found out for this thing that you've been carrying around with shame and guilt. And you know what he wants to do in those spaces? You already know the answer to this. He wants to undo that stuff and he can't unless you are face to face. You're in, a, you're in a world of bondage. I mean, you just can't stop doing the thing that you're doing. But for some reason, you won't get into the presence of God and allow him to tear that off of you. The invitation tonight is that we would be people who do that. When I heard it said this week, and it was so beautiful, when we risk in prayer, we are saying, I trust you this much. I'm going to say it again. When we risk in prayer, we are saying, I trust you this much. And some of you tonight, it's just this much. It's just like, just enough. Like, that's all I have, God. I just have a little bit more risk left in me. And in that space, he meets you right there. Would you stand? And we're going to pray a second.